0: Hey there, Shafiq here and welcome to a very special episode of the Last King Podcast. Now, this episode won't be the usual pop culture fair, but don't worry, we'll return to our regular three-way banter tomorrow as we review the video games Disco Elysium and Death Stranding. Now, I know you've all been waiting for that one. However, uh, today I'll be speaking with special guest Dustin Lau. Now, Dustin is not only a close friend of mine, but we share a similar history working in the production industry here in Singapore. And recently, we've been having some very interesting conversations about the so-called streaming wars, what's been going on ever since Disney decided to enter the ring with their own streaming service, Disney+. Plus. Now, this conversation aims to explore what that means to consumers like us, but we also look into the business models of content streaming companies like Netflix and Amazon with Prime Video. Now, we're very aware that Disney+, Plus is officially not available in Asia, so take what we say with a grain of salt. And there's a segment where we talk about iFlix, a Malaysian-based competitor to Netflix which changed its business model right after we recorded, making that portion more or less moot. So again, a grain of salt. But I hope with this episode we aim to inform as well as start a conversation as we speculate the future of how we as consumers will be paying for and receiving our content, with also a little bit about the technology and the infrastructure that moves it all, so Hope you enjoy this first part of a special miniseries I like to call, Netflix is dead. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of The Last Game Podcast. Um, unfortunately, it's going solo here in the studio because uh, I've lost my co-host as per normal. So yes, uh, this is of course Shafiq, but I do have a interim guest host. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Dustin and uh, I work in TV production. I've been editing, directing for the last uh, 15 years. So yes, like Last Game fans, we finally have another industry guy. So I'm not the only one talking out of my ass. It's nice to have another person who knows uh, a little bit of editing, how to operate a camera here on the show. And uh, today is a very special topic uh, because we're going to be tackling something that has been kind of blooming in the ether, so to speak. Disney Plus is over the horizon. And for a lot of people, especially with the migration of a lot of Marvel properties going on to this new channel, and there's also this overall kind of consensus where it's like, oh god, it's something else I need to subscribe to right now. And I think the conversation I really want to have today is, should we subscribe to Disney Plus? Is Netflix dead? And where am I going to watch my Star Wars now? So Dustin here is a Netflix subscriber, I'm assuming. Yes. Right, you're also a Hulu Plus. No, uh, but no? I have Amazon Prime. You have Amazon Prime? Yeah. Have you seen The Boys? Not yet. You have to, sir. Okay. You'll enjoy it thoroughly. Here in Asia, we're not be getting Disney Plus until officially, maybe next year. Yeah. Now, people are all hyped up about this show. You know, it's a small little IP you might be aware of called Star Wars. Have you heard of Star Wars, Dustin? I think they had, like, some movies that when I was a kid. They got a couple of movies, yeah. you know. It's about space wizards and laser swords. <laughs> that sounds silly. No one's ever going to watch that. Yeah, especially movies where you have short little furry guys who take down, inter- like, you know, space Nazis with sticks and stones. And, I mean, it was adorable. Some of them get got blown up too, <laughs> which I thoroughly appreciated. <laughs> So anyway, Dustin, uh, Dustin is here because he and I are going to have a very specific conversation today because we are definitely very much interested in Disney Plus entering the realm of the what's the official term? The streaming video on demand service, the SVOD. Yeah. So subscriber video on demand. Uh And uh, oh, subscriber. Yeah, and it's generally called like over the top. It's not a linear channel. It's something that's uh, online and that you just watch whatever you want. Like YouTube, but you have to pay for it. Yeah. What's the YouTube version? It's just AOD, right? YouTube always YouTube, on demand. No, YouTube Red. There's YouTube Red, and they okay. have some originals out already. I've actually watched one of the originals. Uh, let me guess. Is it Cobra Kai, the sequel to Karate Kid that nobody asked for, but it's actually kind of good? No, I haven't seen that one. It's actually kind of good. Okay, I haven't seen that one. <laughs> season one, season two. Eh, please check out our review of Cobra Kai season two. <laughs> we, we've did, we've done early in the middle of the year, for the best of 2019 so far. Okay, the, here's the conversation I want to have with you. Disney, they've seen the success on Netflix. They see kind of success in something like what Amazon Prime is doing. Yeah, I mean, there are other streaming services available. Like, you need to watch the Oscars on, like, some weird NBC app. I think in general for all of these like subscriber on demand players uh, what you have is you have the, the global players that mm-hmm. are trying to release in every single country and then you will have like local competitors so like in India you have Hotstar. In What's Hotstar sir? Hotstar is the Indian OTT subscriber on demand platform and basically it has cricket and has a lot more Indian content than most of the global so players. So every single Bollywood movie is there? Almost. I would say every single one so it depends on windowing. But yeah. generally, the content library for Hotstar for India outstrips the rest, but it may not be the most recent content, but they've got, like, large libraries of, you know, all the old films. So every single Shah Rukh Khan movie, or at least Amita Bachchan, come I, on, where I, else I, am I going to watch Disco Bangra? I think one thing that we here on the podcast seldom actually address is the fact that when we talk about Netflix movies, when we talk about uh, stuff we see on Amazon, right, it's might have a tinge of the global perspective of like, oh, these are American platforms. Whereas here in Asia, there's a little bit of a difficulty because, you know, like Google videos hasn't quite kicked off or Google movies. And I don't think it will ever kind of get the traction it really looks for. And then we also have really sad local streaming services like Toggle, which nobody cares about, right? I know that my, my mother does like she catches up with her like local dramas or Korean dramas or Togo. But isn't there like a specific platform for just the Korean dramas? Korea has VIEW, so like you know when Descendants of the Sun came out right like everyone was watching it on VIEW, yeah. V I U, Yeah, so I mean maybe what we need to address is like okay there's so many platforms out, out there should we subscribe to all of them or should we just maybe pick and choose and how do we pick and choose because certain analysts and maybe insiders are trying to convince us that look netflix is dead move over to disney plus we have all the star wars we have all the marvel and i think it also kind of makes sense because you know i mean it is planned propaganda to an extent I think it's clickbait, right? So, like, it if, is, if yeah. you if you go if you go with a balanced article headline, it's like, oh, here's some reasons why you have a space for multiple players to win. Then, like, no one's gonna. Our podcast is called Netflix is Dead, but we're we're trying to be even <laughs> handed about it here, right? So I like... love that podcaster. <laughs> I think that it's kind of a false dichotomy that it's a winner takes all thing. It's not Highlander; there can only be one. It's just. <laughs> Sure. I mean, And I do believe that, especially with the current spending power of maybe, say, the local, I would say, consumer of such streaming products. Right. I mean, having the one is probably normal by now. Everybody has, I mean, we've gone through the whole era of cable cutting. Nobody subscribes to cable television anymore. It just doesn't make sense. And everyone that remembers what cable was priced at would be like, I get four services and I still pay less than my cable bill. Bingo. A US cable plan... Is about fifty dollars to seventy-five dollars on average, or even higher when you include like pay-per-view and football yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it, it depends on it depends on which market you're in, which which state you're in. If you subscribe to every single O.T.T service available in the U.S. now, that would be ninety something dollars. Mm-hmm. But you have every, everything, and also you get that convenience of like you don't need to watch ads, you don't you need don't... to sit through scheduled programming. Correct, correct. So basically, you have cut, cutting out all of the ads on demand on your phone. You can. Watch on your phone, go back to your screen, and then resume there. So I think that it's actually changing how you interact with video. You don't follow the video schedule. Mm. I think the more interesting thing is how subscriber on demand as a platform changes media as a whole in how it's programmed, how everything is released as a binge as opposed to weekly. Yeah, I mean, I would also give some credit to where credit is due. Like, you look at something like YouTube, which kind of proved the fact. Like, remember back in the... The, the dark days of YouTube where that's where you watch Naruto yeah, yeah. in 2040p <laughs> yeah you know and like whoever you whoever is uploading all those episodes of that show that you can't get anywhere else because it kind of uh became the question is not so much about like you know the quality of the content but the availability as well yes now there's this uh maybe a sense of dread amongst all these Marvel fans with their Netflix subscriptions thinking okay now I need to move on to Disney Plus. Mm. And what is the value added? I mean, sure, I'll get to watch these Marvel movies. Sure, you, you've got Star Wars. Sure, you've got maybe I, every I think, Disney I think, princess. I think that that is not necessarily true as well because I think that at launch, Disney will have only six of the 24 Marvel uh, Universe films. This has been reported? Disney's Plus is meant to be subscriber video on demand. It means no ads. Mm-hmm. they've reached a point where they're offering stars the opportunity to show ads so that they can get some of the rights back from stars to have them available at launch stars is the the network the network right because stars has the rights for some of uh, disney's ip at launch mm-hmm. and disney wants those rights back so that they have more launch titles okay but it's gotten to a point that well, you've already sold us these rights, so sorry we can't give them to you. Okay, what if we put your ads on our <laughs> network and you give us back this IP and that they're they're actually talking through a deal now? I mean just put a mouse head on the S of the stars logo and it will all be fine, I guess. Yeah, you know? but but this gives you an idea of how like when these studios sell their rights, they sell them for like, you know, a window of like two years, four years, whatever. Which is and, why like Marvel only... has to make like a fantastic four movie every once in a while because yeah. Yeah. And, and I think the problem is that you don't always know when you're going to move into the business of setting up a OTT platform, right? So even yeah. when Netflix launched in Japan, they didn't have the rights for House of Cards. Mm. So the six movies, uh, do you have titles off the top of your head right now? I don't have the titles off the top of my head, but I do have the link for that. Okay, uh, check it out in the description down below. But I'm pretty sure, is Infinity War among the six? Infinity War and Black Panther won't be available until late 2020. But you can watch it on Netflix right now. Don't though. I mean, Infinity Warriors. Don't watch (laughs) Black (laughs) (laughs) Panther. It depends on your region, right? What a lot of people still misunderstand is, uh, Oh, Netflix is holding my content back. You know, they have it for Japan. Why don't they have it for Singapore? And I paid for my subscription. But, you know, if they paid for global rights for everything, it would be really expensive. Exactly. And that's why they have global rights for their originals. And that's why studios do originals because it's more expensive, but you don't have to pay licensing fees to people, and you can exploit it through an entire lifetime. But then Netflix has so much money. Why can't I watch Mystery Science Theater three thousand in my region, sir? If it's already been sold to someone else exclusively, then there's nothing in the world that can happen unless they buy out the company that has the rights and transfer it. But that's not fair. I want all the content. Oh,
1: okay, <laughs> millennial. Yeah. Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, sir. <laughs>
0: sorry centric tom's off today that's also something i also want to kind of get into because when it comes to talking about basically the demographics and the region locking and even things like censorship which we haven't brought up yet yeah i mean there's so much content that is floating out there in the ether in the internet you know and it's kind of strange to me because like oh man remember back in the day when you used to have to turn on the tv and wait for that program to appear now you just have it anytime you want yeah and if you know which platform it's on if you know which platform it's on and back then we only had 3 channels 5, 8 and 12 yeah now we have 5 out of which I watch none yes there was (laughs) there was pretty good stuff on 12 though true that's how I got Monty Python and Blackadder 1am Monty (laughs) Monty Python Blackadder New Statesman New Statesman New Statesman I want to do an entire episode about Uh, New Statesman Cinema Paradiso Cinema Paradiso man fantastic film uh, please watch Kurosawa a lot of Kurosawa as well yeah, I missed that. I missed like maybe... The programming of 12 was awesome. Whoever was in charge, I need to get him on the show. I want to talk to him. What convinced you to put Seven Samurai on TV? Yes, exactly. And who was watching? <laughs> I was. I was. <laughs> <laughs> this movie is amazing. Yeah, it was like Dream, Seven Samurai, <laughs> Stano Tutu Beni, like yeah. all the Giuseppe tornatori stuff. Maybe at this point in time, what we can describe is also the business model of all these streaming platforms because we had this conversation about why was Tuka and Bertie cancelled? Which was an amazing sort of spin-off from Bojack Horseman, uh, it ran for one season on Netflix, it had amazing reviews and then I kind of discovered that it's not about the views but about the amount of retainership, the amount of people re-watching and uh, the amount of new subscribers watching that. And then there's all these metrics and all these analytics that I was only recently made aware of. I mean why did Orange is the New Black last so long? it lasted longer than her actual prison sentence that prison looks really comfortable are you sure this is how it works i will also say something that is amazing like say Swamp thing it doesn't have the kind of strong ip that would maybe convince people to join a new platform uh it's not even about the quality of the show but just basically the hard numbers Whereas, like if this doesn't bring x amount of money or x amount of eyeballs then we have to we have to this whole thing i, I think mean, that you have to look at what the importance of intellectual property on a platform in terms of what it brings to the platform. So you have things like Stranger Things, Handmaiden's Tale, and mm. those are the things that like people go, okay, I'll subscribe for that, right? So mm. that is what the value of that IP, but it's expensive. And let's say you subscribe and you watch Stranger Things and after that you watch nothing, It's a pretty good sign that you're going to cancel the next time your subscription comes around. So we make something like Stranger Things? Not necessarily something like Stranger Things. Because what happens is that when you join Netflix, there's an on-ramp, right? Mm -hmm. You don't just join and start start surfing. They ask you what movies do you already like and they show you all those movies. Because what they're trying to do is like get an idea of what your taste is and then thereafter, all your actions on the platform inform it. Even if you're searching for something, for example, that doesn't exist. I've talked about people subscribing for content. But sometimes, what gets you to not cancel or to stay is something like, you know, a stand up comedy mm. or a documentary. One thing that a lot of people that talk about Netflix as if they're competitors to HBO or competitors to studios misunderstand is that. When you say Disney, you know that okay, children's content, stuff like that. Yeah. Right? We're, we're not talking about Disney, the studio, we're talking about Disney, the brand. Mm-hmm. When you say ABC, you have a certain idea of what the brand is. Yeah. When you say Discovery Channel, you know it's documentaries. But when you say Netflix, it's, not, it's none of these things, it's all of these things. Yeah, they kind of basically fluctuate between all these genres, but I think the overlying umbrella is, remember when we used to deliver DVDs to your house? Mm. Why don't we just deliver movies straight to your phone or to your computer or your TV? And this is the thing, right? Like, they've already been building data even before they had a streaming platform because what you borrow, what you return, that's data already. So yeah. even before they started moving into the streaming business, they already had customers, they already had profits and they really had information on what their customers wanted. So all they needed to do was look at what the customers wanted, buy those rights for cheap, put it on the platform, and the studios were like, I don't think internet streaming is going to work, but if you're going to pay me money for it, sure. And that's why, you know, when Netflix first launched, everything was priced so well because it was money that the studios thought, I'll just take it because I'm not going to build a platform. And if these guys can do it, then okay. They've intended on streaming from the start. I mean, you don't call yourself Netflix and deliver DVDs if you think delivering DVDs is your business. It's very clear from the name itself that Netflix means you're going to be on the net showing flicks, right? So the fact that that was the name and the fact that once they started the streaming business past a certain point. Streaming business is a separate company. You make sure that the streaming business isn't concerned about cannibalizing profits from The DVD delivery business. In fact, Roku started from Netflix as well. Yeah, I remember that. But then they were like, okay, but when we go to platforms like Samsung or LG, then like, oh, why should we work with you? You've got you've got something that competes with us, which is Roku. Mm -hmm. So Roku was spun out as a separate company, just because being a platform was more important to them than the profits of the existing DVD and Roku business. Why is it that all these gigantic movie studios and all these other uh, broadcasting, like, corporations and companies, why didn't they notice that this was the way the internet was going? Because, like, when I mentioned back then when it was pretty normal to just pirate and, like, get things for free because availability. Mm. And then Netflix saw it along the lines of, like, no, we're answering that question, availability. How would you like to watch your movies on demand, anytime, And all you need to do is just pay a very handy-dandy one-time monthly subscription. I think it's a convenience, right? Because like, once you've started streaming... And here's the thing, they're competing with piracy which is free. I mean, legal issues aside, Mm. right? So, if you can pirate stuff for free, why do people pay for the service? I think part of it is that it removes the biggest decision point, which is, what do I watch next? Bingo, because when you pirate, you pirate the one thing. You don't pirate an entire network. No, or and entire you know thing. exactly what you want, right? Yeah. And I think that uh, when people talk about Netflix content spend, what they might not realize is that they're churning out content so fast that pirates are struggling to catch up with everything. And because they're not necessarily churning out the 10-pole IP all the time, it's not always a stranger things. Sometimes it's a documentary, sometimes it's like pretty low-key. Pirates <laughs> can't be bothered to pirate all of that shit. So, yeah. like, there, 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 are certain shows that you know people like, but not worth pirating. Or there's just they're just generating much content. They're spending twelve billion on content. Disney spending one billion. That's, that's the official numbers as of this recording. I would say yeah, twelve billion, and that's all off the backs of subscription and past DVD sales. Well, I mean, it's, they they've taken out debt for it the costs are front loaded right because what they're doing is that they're paying content creators up front and then i got the rights there are no residuals <laughs> so i think that one of the challenges that they may face with that model is you would have uh, very established directors that may go but i want my residuals i know that i'm gonna do well and i want to get the royalties which is why i'm very curious about scorsese's the irishman which is going to be like a netflix exclusive yeah and I'm looking at that and thinking like, e- this might be the new way to do it. Because like, I loved Roma. Yes. And Roma cannot be made for the theater anymore. Correct. I look at something like that and like, yeah, there's no way he can raise the kind of money he needed within any studio system, realistically, yes. to achieve the kind of vision he had in mind. Yes. And I watch something like that and that's when I like stand up and applaud something like Netflix. It's like, okay, if you're willing to take these kind of risks, correct, then you've won me over. But I'm also a very specific demographic and then like maybe going back onto an earlier point is like what is the demographic? I mean do we have any actual numbers on how many of them are Marvel fans? How many of them want to have like like an infinite playlist of movies to watch till the end of time? How many of them subscribe to Netflix literally because that's where I watch Stranger Things? You're not gonna have any of that data public because that's yeah. basically, that's the secret source right? Yeah. yeah. But to go back to your point about how um, they're taking the kinds of this that, you know, people make content on the platform that they know they can't make anywhere else. Like when there was some criticism around like The Get Down, which is uh, the Bears Lerman series which was cancelled after, was it one or two seasons? First season was good, second season kinda sucked. Yeah. So I think after the second season it was cancelled. And a lot of people are like, oh, you spent so much money and you cancelled. But that's exactly the kind of risk we need to be taking. Because if we're playing it too safe, then content creators aren't going to look at us and go, okay, I need to make it there because I'm not going to get it made anywhere else. Yeah. And if you think mm-hmm. about it, even for the global play, Narcos, what studio is going to take the risk spending that much money, mm-hmm. mostly in Spanish, that would like do well globally. Yeah. other shows like The Rain. I think it's Scandinavian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got multiple foreign language series that are popular with global audiences, but this is something that no studio would actually take the risk on. Mm. Because, I mean, it's all metrics at the end of the day. Because, I mean, I made this like comment on the podcast a few times, it's like, the quality of movie is not determined by the quality of its uh, content, but more the amount of money it makes. I mean, and that's the thing, it's like, there is the business side to the movie industry right now, which... I think I am... I mean, we're witnessing a, a new kind of transformation because for me, it's interesting where, like, if Disney is trying to convince people to subscribe to Disney Plus because, hey, we got more Star Wars and we have all the Star Wars, I think that is total lack of foresight because they assume that maybe, okay, at least we'll get the Marvel World Star Wars fanboys to join our side. Mm-hmm. Okay, but what is the longevity? What is it that you're going to contribute other than? Because you're talking about, like, are you going to convince people to sign on to your platform so that they can re-watch something that they probably experienced 10 times better in the cinema earlier, or they've watched the death on repeat several times already on Netflix? And you're going to promise something like, say, okay, maybe just one show, The Mandalorian, and here's a couple of spin-off, like Marvel TV shows. Like, will three TV shows, maybe another movie, will that confirm longevity? I think that with businesses like Apple like Amazon and like Disney, you have to see them as entire companies with many other business verticals. Mm-hmm. So they can afford to take losses on video as long as, as a whole, you stay in the ecosystem and they're making money elsewhere. Like not Amazon saying... as an example. Yeah, for For example for Amazon, right? How many people subscribe to Prime Video only? They normally don't. Normally they have Prime already and Prime Video is the free add-on that comes with it. That they're like, oh, okay, cool. Maybe I'm not ordering stuff from Amazon as much, but I like watching Bosch. The boys. Yeah, I like watching Bosch or yeah. I like watching like Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Not that I've seen any of those. That's enough for them to not cancel, and it also means that when they go into markets like India where they have to fight Flipkart, mm. then they have something else that Flipkart doesn't have. Although Flipkart, in response, has decided, okay, we're gonna launch video as well because now we're competing with Amazon and Amazon has like free video that comes with it. But, like, wouldn't the knee reaction from maybe the general population is like but you can't take down Amazon, they're like the biggest company in the world. I mean is there also maybe a statement on people's, the public perception on these companies and the business decisions they make? I think that there are advantages and disadvantages to having ecosystems outside of just video. So for, for Amazon, you know, like they can lost lead on video. Um, as long as you retain as a prime subscriber, they're happy. For Apple, okay, you know, you need an Apple device. So that's... that's yeah, it's the the wall garden the ecosystem. Biggest, the biggest dongle in the world, right? The, the yeah. <laughs> dongle in the world for Final Cut Pro is the, the entire Mac. So, fuck that, man. Yeah. As an editor. Yes. <laughs> that's why I quit the... <laughs> fuck this, Final Cut X, when it came out, the fuck is this shit? <laughs> yeah. So, so broadly speaking, for all of these participants that have other industry verticals and other places to make money, they can afford to not necessarily um, make money on video as long as it's serving the larger whole. So for Disney, mm-hmm. they've got theme parks and there are ways for them to basically cross-promote stuff as well. Yeah. So there may be something like um, a film that they want to launch but the character isn't important enough yet mm-hmm. or no one really cares about the character. They can launch an original on Disney+, that builds up the story and the interest in the character. Grow the fan base. Grow the fan base. Or figure out if it's not worth doing that film. And then cancel. Yeah. And then no loss, no power. Correct. Netflix doesn't have this, but what it has is a monomaniacal focus because it's video or nothing. There's nothing else to sustain them. And you can see it from the platform. Because if you've tried all of the other platforms, the best platform is clearly Netflix's. They've got the best content distribution network, which is basically they go to the ISP, and say, we're going to put our server here and we're going to save you money because you no longer have to have traffic that goes to us, requests it to us, it comes to you. It's right there in your backbone. Okay. And so, like every country in the world has a Netflix server, right? There's Almost. One in the, there's one in the Amazonian forest somewhere. <laughs> really? Yeah. So there's no overhead for you. It's just basically, we did the work already. Correct. Disney is not available in Asia. And I'm assuming not because of licensing or region. It's more along the lines of like, have they put, you know, the technology in place? Have they built the the giant warehouse with all the uh, the data points and stuff? And I don't think it's even a topic of conversation at this point because they need to know whether in America or in maybe certain parts of Europe will this work. I think most people use AWS anyway. Yeah, yeah. But I think that um, it's probably more along the lines of how they're gonna build out the platform. And they have BamTech, which is great but BamTech is live sports and live sports is a very different thing from a subscriber on demand video mm-hmm. for one thing because live sports is basically it's a live stream right yeah so you've got to cater for lots of people online at the same time whereas subscriber on demand video is you've got a very disparate amount of subscribers they're all watching different things yeah So the architecture for it is different. I think that there are things from BAMTECH that has now been rebranded Disney streaming services. Mm -hmm. There is technology from BAMTECH that will help the Disney Plus platform, but not all of it transfers easily to a subscriber video on demand service. Why would you say something like that? I mean, what what are the limitations that BAMTECH has that maybe Netflix has figured out by now? I would say it's all around user retention and it's all around user interfaces the smart tv interface and the mobile interface are probably the most important ones because those are the ones where most people are watching on a laptop is a laptop right yeah yeah yeah. overall i think that the mobile experience is actually what makes the difference for developing world markets okay i mean because literally everybody we we don't watch like tv at home as we used to we watch it on the way to work or during a lunch break we need or in many developing world uh, world economies the mobile is the only computing device most people have yeah because like samsung and iphone they did their best and then everybody in the world has a smartphone of some sort yeah mostly chinese smartphones so like there's a there's a chinese manufacturer that specifically sells lots of smartphones in africa called techno t-e-c-n-o and the reason they're really popular is because they customize their algorithms such that The camera takes really good pictures of African skin and that's like how they they're doing very well really this is a thing yeah wow the mobile experience is really important which is why Netflix has the aim low initiative Hmm. which is basically we're gonna make sure that this works well in India because the first time they went to India and they tried streaming they're like oh my god because you also have to understand like the the various regions countries their infrastructure their their ability to deliver high quality content over whatever I mean, age broadband... Edge or, or 2G or, like, whatever. Yeah. yeah. I know you mean. Like, 2G. <laughs> exactly. In Laos, it's 2G. It's still a thing. Yeah. Yeah, look at us here, all sitting high and mighty with our LTE. What is it now? Oh, so you're in Korea, be 5G, right? Well, I want to taste that. Korea has 5G already. The fuck is that shit, right? I mean, when we talk about, say, actual markets that are gigantic, like, say, China. Like, say, India. Where it's like, yeah, there's a... Billion people there. We, yeah. Whereas in here in Singapore, like yeah, there's six million of us. Cool. Maybe we don't talk about China now, but let's say India. There is a high demand for quality content over there. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, it's still number one Bollywood, then Nollywood yeah. then Hollywood. Then Tollywood. There's Tamil Hollywood. Yeah. Okay, I'll put that above Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I mean, you're talking about a country where they had f- they have films that have theatrical runs that last twenty years because i'm really interested in the public perception of things more along the lines of like what would convince me to get disney plus or what would convince me to leave netflix for example and i mean for me uh i've already made up my mind but i'm talking about like, maybe the general population like say somewhere in india because they have all these like services available yep. they have the netflix equivalent they have the amazon equivalent hmm. okay and then like maybe i mean not speaking on behalf of just india in general but because they are such an important market that people are definitely looking at and also which is the great firewall of china which i think everybody's kind of clamoring for because once you enter that like i mean i think china's too hard to be honest because yeah because i think there's the great firewall of china there is the censorship requirements which are very heavy and i think that If you're talking about um, even Facebook and Google not being able to be Yeah, they have their version. And all they're doing is search results and like social networks, right? So China already has their own social networks, their own Tu, their own like... Weibo and all that. Correct. So I think that it's reached a point where I'm not even sure whether these platforms will work in China because China is very used to a different way of consuming already. They're used to ads. So like the fact that oh there are no ads Chinese like so? No, I, I've heard of like Chinese cinemas where you can actually directly comment on the movie and then the comments will appear on correct. the screen. So I think that the way that they consume media is already so different that even if you said that you can go in there now which yeah. is unlikely but even if you could go in there now the education required to learn how the Chinese consumer consumes content mm. is so high that it will take years before any platform actually learns enough about how to work there. And I will also assume that by the time you arrive there, China's already pirated and done their version of whatever you wanted to bring in the first place. Correct. And if they have a state-owned enterprise or as good as state-owned enterprise company that's doing the same thing, then you are going to have to fight regulations that probably favor the enterprise. I mean, but wouldn't a place like China have the kind of infrastructure kind of set in place? Why not just go in there and just say, okay, look, you don't have to do too many things. Can we just try? Or maybe... Uh, more along the lines of like let's create a test market or let's just try to be an off-brand of something else that exists like why not why call it netflix why why just not make the chinese version of netflix i think the chinese version of netflix is already in china it's called Youku. it's called Youku. Huh? Yeah. i mean like the the chinese are consuming video they're not there going oh we've never seen this streaming video thing before they mm. they already have their own platforms and i think that they're just consuming it in very different ways even the version of tiktok in china is completely different from the version of tiktok the rest of the world has yeah yeah I mean, and chinese tiktok has like all the the payments built in right so like what we have is very nascent compared to what china is like mm-hmm. yeah i agree i mean like their version of whatsapp their wechat has yeah. like credit card like uh, numbers built in you do everything on wechat you can pay like street side hawkers on wechat eh? so literally wechat is like what they call the super app Where you can just go into WeChat, get your entire day stuff done. I I order a manicure, I order a pedicure, I get like my food delivered, I get my transport. Pay my bills and everything. Every single thing. Yeah, Right. which is what like a lot of places like Google Pay, Samsung Pay, Apple Pay and like even here in Singapore like Payla Pay Now they are desperate to try and like, match that level I mean, of Grab is That's what Grab is trying to do, Yeah, and I respect yeah. them for it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a play that you have to make because if you have that amount of user data, yeah. you have to be exploiting it over as many industry verticals as you can. Mm. Um, but China is very far ahead in that regard. Maybe we should be winding up here. I mean, this has been a fascinating discussion. One thing that I didn't properly do is properly introduce you, because Dustin not only introduced me to the beauty that is Kevin Smith's clubs, he also was the guy who loaned me Gamo. Oh, right. <laughs> is it still with you? No, I returned it, okay. dammit. Uh, the thing is, that Dustin is also one of the few people... Because you guys in The Last King have realised that I'm a little bit, I would say, strict when it comes to reviewing movies, because I have a certain kind of interest in movies. Uh, I'm a, more of an aficionado than a fan. And I would assume Dustin is one. Have you seen Joker? I intend to. Uh, I think it's one of the few films that I will watch in the cinema. And I think that that's how cinema going is going at the moment, right? Where you make very explicit choices about, okay, this is worth a big screen watch. You're not yeah, going to yeah. go watch a rom-com. And I think it represents in the way everything in the cinema these days is like a franchise movie or a sequel. Because the metrics say that this is what makes money. Marketing has changed, right? Yep. And you you care about something because you've heard about it before, your friends have heard about it before. So that's why anything that is based on a comic book has a built-in fan base. You're probably going to go see it. Which is also kind of strange because like if you think about it, we live in a day and an age where Will Smith's name is not strong enough to sell a movie anymore because Gemini men ate shit at the box office. Yes. Even something like Tom Cruise who used to be, he was the guy and yep. we grew up with Tom Cruise. Yeah from his goofy Top Gun days to like he's actually kind of brilliant at Magnolia yes he, no uh, Magnolia is his best film and he he never decided to top that instead he decided to become like I'm a 50 year old action star for some reason mm. and as much as I love every oh, Keanu does it well Keanu does as well and Keanu saw the light too because I would say this right uh, the Mission Impossible movies low-key are some of the greatest action movies of all time mm. and it's not because the story is good but it's because that asshole pulled it off In front of the camera That's a practical shot Yes None of this is CGI None of this is uh, safe Yeah You know And like you know Props to Keanu too Because he did it with the Matrix And he felt like He's still returning the favor To those guys Because I remember the legend of Like At the end of the success Of the first Matrix He bought everybody Like a Harley And donate, like gave them all salaries Or something Yeah and is like basically, uh, why don't I just keep employing you guys? Why I, I think it's time the stunt, correct, the, the stunt coordinator becomes a director now. Yes. Make John Wick one for me. And yeah. like, That's a good film. Make another one. That's also a very good film. John Wick 3. Okay, you're-, you're using horses. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I have my problems with John Wick 3. John Wick 3 is literally jumping over the shark with machine guns and your hair on fire. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. It's... Because- it's getting to the level of uh what's that what's that Schwarzenegger movie where like he, he rides a rocket through a building. But oh, that was true lies. True lies, yeah. It's <laughs> like, it's reach it's reaching true lies level of like stretching the realm of it, of reality. Which I kind of appreciate because as much as I enjoy the gritty realism of maybe something like John Wick 1 or John Wick Two, John Wick 3 is an exercise in excess that I think we really need yeah. at this point of time. Because it feels so weird to watch safe action movies nowadays. Yes. Because the hard art As much as people clamor for it, and as much as people have expectations for it, right? I mean, guys like us growing up in the 80s, that's not a hard R. No. No. Have you seen the uncensored Robocop? That's a hard R. Yeah. You know, like, when the violence is not just... When they're they're shooting them through the container. (laughs) Dude, when he blows off off Murphy's hand in that random scene, like, why? Because excessive. Like, movies are so... uh, I would say... It's but, but... test marketed, it's focus grouped, it's, uh, there's so many metrics and there's so much analysis and things are, but like basically here on The Last Game Podcast, one thing I constantly bring up is the checklist problem, where mm-hmm. everything feels template where you see something like uh, maybe any Marvel movie, except for Infinity War. Infinity War is the only movie I think, okay, props to Russo for trying to do something off-brand. And then it's like, but then I do realize it. And it's something that I constantly bring up is like, I really in, don't enjoy so many movies because it feels like somebody asked for this. And then when you have a hundred people asking for the same thing, it becomes lowest well, common denominator. Everything becomes familiar and derivative of each other. Then you have a Joker. I, and I think th- that Hollywood has kind of always done that. Because like yeah. when there was like Sausage and, and Fellini, it was like, you know, Let's reduce the variabilities. These guys make money. Mm-hmm. So we have the auteurs, right? Then you have the actors, like, okay, Nicolas Cage. These actors, they bring in the money. But all of these things put too much power into the hands of people yeah. that need to get paid. And if they know they're important, they ask for more money. And then you come up with like the exorbitant salaries of those days. Like, how much did like Jack Nicholson ask for for like Batman? It's yep. like everybody was thinking like, oh, he's not asking for a lot, yeah, but he wants all the merchandise. Correct. Yeah. So what Hollywood needs, or basically what the studios need, is they need a way of ensuring that the movie is going to do well. Yes. But the cost of ensuring that you get this director or you get this actor has become too high. Mm-hmm. So when they get to the point where like, okay, I've got a brand here, I've got Pixar. People just watch Pixar films. They don't yeah. even care what Cars comes three, Cars four. Movie. Who cares? Correct. Right. People are gonna watch. The next Marvel universe film, because it's and in the timeline and correct, and even you've indoctrinated enough people. And even if it's not great, you'll still give it a chance because there have been great Marvel films. Yes. So, you know, you can have a few like films that aren't great, but you're you generally still have faith in the brand, mm. and that's why there's so many sequels. A film like American Psycho, for example, will mm. not be made now, but it can make its way into the Joker because it aligns somewhat with the Joker storyline. So mm. a film like that would not get made as original IP because there's too much marketing involved, it's, it's too expensive to get people interested enough to watch it. But if you can sneak those storylines into existing franchise films or the existing IP mm. that already has a built-in fanbase, I think that's where a lot of the content is going, where this will get seen if I put it into the new Guardians of the Galaxy, for example. Yeah, I see. I would like to see that I would like to see Darren Oronofsky's Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> no no I, I don't I, I, I kind of like James Gunn <laughs> James Gunn is great because like he started out with because we're Troma guys yeah because we're trauma guys, trauma, yeah, we're, we're trauma guys. <laughs> watch Tromeo and Juliet that is hands down the second best love story of all time <laughs> uh, you know when Lloyd Kaufman was in town for a masterclass I went for it and I like, brought him out for like uh, curry at some is he and, really yeah. like that He's really like that. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, He is... But I love the fact that every fucking Tromo film is on YouTube. Just watch. Yeah. Like, you haven't seen Toxic Avenger? What's your excuse? It's yeah. on YouTube right now. Yeah. Oh, man. Clause of Newcomb High. Shit. Uh, Serf Nazis Must Die. I miss movies that... I think that's also like the deeper concept conversation I always wanted to have because as much as we're all discussing about all these metrics and infrastructure and money and like you know, regions and how like all these business models are in play when it comes to terms like Netflix, when it comes to even Disney Plus, Amazon, Hulu, right? And it's like it's fascinating to me to see how content and creativity is not necessarily stifled by all these business models. But maybe at the same time, there is a certain amount of creativity that you need to give to a lot of these directors to work within the system. Which is something like even guys like even Kevin Smith, even maybe uh, other authors mm-hmm. had to battle with since the old days. Because, I mean, just watch any like John Landis interview and he's like he's constantly battling with the studio about this is the film I want to make. Mm. Or even like uh, Terry Gilliam, like he never got to have his final cut on Brazil. Yeah. There was the, the studio version and the T V version. Right. But I think what's different about the, the S Fort model, the subscriber video on demand model, is that what happens now is that you no longer need to appease a wide audience. Dingle. You can hit niches and uh, we can talk further about like, you know, how now that you can binge everything, the your content arc is much longer. You no longer have to tell everything within a three hour window, right? You can tell something that Happens in season one and then it comes to fruition in season four, episode two. Yeah. Right. So th- that's another way that this has changed how content is made. But what's also changed is that you can now address what are very long tail or very niche markets and that that it doesn't suffer because that very niche thing may be something that keeps someone from churning out as a subscriber. Mm. Right. So it could be a hyper violent, um, you know, D movie. But maybe there's someone that was about to cancel like about to cancel after watching stranger things like oh what but this reminds me of a film i like and Mm -hmm. then get that gets him to stay and they have the metrics correct and and that still has value so what happens is that you you don't have something that needs to please a large market you can then have lots of things that please all of these niches and as long as all of these niches as a whole and as an aggregate mean that netflix keeps more subscribers then you actually have the ability to have more niche content rather than less. Okay, I mean, maybe to just put it into simpler terms is like, instead of making the one movie to please a million people, just make a hundred things to please 10,000 or 100,000 people each. Correct. And then have a platform like Netflix to like, okay, we're not making one thing. Here's 10 things that some of you may like because all of you contribute to the actual economy of our platform. Whereas like something like Disney Plus is like if you're gonna promise us just the Mandalorian, yeah, a million people is not gonna pay slightly cheaper than Netflix. I mean we have to agree that the eight dollar entry po- uh, price point entry is kind of delicious at this point in time. And if you're gonna promise us like like even like the Disney Princess movies and Star Wars and everything, but I also want to say is like I don't see that as the place where they're gonna make quality content. I don't see that as the place where. Okay, this is basically that, that is literally McDonald's right there. It's all fast food. Yeah, because Disney has an uh, association with children's content, right? Yep. So, and, and that's the curious thing for me as well, which is like, how is the hyperviolent Marvel content going to sit next to the children's content? Because there's not going to be an rated Deadpool movie anymore. Mm. I mean, there's been announced. now, it's like, it's going to be PG 13 or nothing. I mean, they even theatrically released a PG 13 version of Deadpool. Correct. And it did numbers because, um, yeah, now you can bring your kids, but it, then again, you get the hard R version, which has just only been recently uh, supplanted by The Joker. Right. Okay, it's like you know, the, the biggest selling R movie of all time. Right. For guys like me, right, there's a certain quality in the content that I'm very desperate for. And as much as, like, I'm pretty sure, like, Criterion Collection has their own version of the streaming service, maybe down the horizon. I'm sure it's too niche and it'll probably die yeah and i think they tried it maybe it's too hard to build a platform that's the thing a lot of people underestimate how hard it is to build a platform that which is probably definitely maybe the answer that kind of answers all the questions because when it comes to maybe the the rhetoric again where like netflix is dead because they're gonna lose all the marvel stuff haha and and there there are lots of things that people aren't even aware are moats for netflix in Mm. terms of um, how do you deliver content to Netflix? Like, as an editors, we know, right? For yeah. most people, they're like, okay, deliver this um, ProRes file or deliver this, like, this particular Send it file by form. FedEx yeah. by tomorrow. Yeah. yeah, what Netflix has is it, it uses IMF and the, the benefits of IMF is that you package every single language into the file. So rather than them having to deliver, okay, here's the Vietnamese version, here's the Spanish version, here's... It's one file and at the end, you select. That's why when you go to Netflix and you select the languages, all the languages are there. Which we kind of saw coming. With remember back in the day when we saw those crazy Matroska Kodak MKV hey, no, files. That's, exact, that's exactly what it is. Which so, is exactly what it is. Like yeah. we saw it coming. Yeah. So it's like instead of having a like you know region lock DVD or like here's the subtitle version. It's correct. No, it's all in one file. Yeah. And it's not physical. We can just literally. Email it to you. Here's and and a that's link. just that's just one part of it, right? They've yeah, yeah. also got an ingest engine that, whenever you send a file in, it automatically checks for errors. Mm. Most of the other services are building it or may not have it yet. But Netflix already has it, and it's already switching subtitles instead of using old SRT or sub files. They're yep. switching subtitles to TTML, which is the web standard. Yep. So there, there are lots of things that they're doing on the back end to make things easier. Mm-hmm. They're building tools for casting directors. So like. Rather than using traditional ways of like casting, Netflix has a tool, if you're doing originals with us, use this casting tool and we've we've built a platform that is great for casting directors. So it's getting to the point that Holly, people in Hollywood are working on Netflix production saying, I wish I could use your tools on my other jobs. So there you have it, Netflix is not going to die, it's going to be around for a pretty long time. Disney's not gonna die either. I think the point is that yeah. neither of them need to die. Disney is a storytelling company. Yeah. So they're not gonna die because they also make it too much money. The difference is that they have to worry about cannibalizing their existing business. Which is something that they might have to... they might not not say have to do but it might they might just do by accident. Yeah. So Netflix can take risks because they don't have an existing business to cannibalize. And they don't have a brand specifically which is associated with all these characters or these like lore and backstories. Correct. Yeah, so it's like there's no like, oh, Netflix, how could you do that to Dustin from Stranger Things? Not, not, sorry, Yeah. easy reference. Have you watched Stranger Things? Yes. Yeah, it's okay. Mm. <laughs> like season 1? Good. Season 2? yeah I, Like most of my favorite content is actually on HBO. Really? Yeah. Oh! Fuck. Do you hate season 8 or Game of Thrones? Uh, I actually haven't watched it. (gasps) Don't. Where did you stop? Hmm? Where did you stop? Season 3. Just go to season 6 and stop. Essentially, I read the books, and then I got Same. Yeah. Don't. (laughs) Yeah, after you've read the books, and then you see what they do to the books, you're like, (sighs) I don't even know what you're doing anymore. Like yeah, not but I mean it's not our Martin's fault because like, he lost interest a long time ago, and it's it, to me it's also I kind of like the knee-jerk reaction where like they announced two new GOT shows, yeah, and one of them is already cancelled before it even goes into production. Yeah, I'm looking forward to his Dark Materials, which is uh on HBO. Yeah, 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 and then uh like Rome Carnival, the classic. Huh? I love Carnival. Me too, man. Yeah. But yeah i mean it's kind of cool to think of like you when, when you look at something like hbo and it's like okay we just we're, we're done with game of thrones it's up to you guys now yeah yeah <laughs> you know? but that's the thing right hbo has a brand where like we do the high-end stuff yep. so you're not gonna find like crappy reality tv on hbo it's not the brand yeah. but sometimes you feel like crappy reality tv right Bingo. yeah yeah so that's the thing right netflix will always exist because it exists as like the anchor Right? Maybe mm. you maybe the best shows that you want might be on Disney Plus, but at what eight ninety nine and forty you can afford both. Okay, I think that's a perfect way to wrap it up. So Netflix is not dead; it ain't going anywhere. Disney Plus is gonna come. It's a new power player. We'll just have to wait and see. Amazon still exists. Uh, Apple. Apple still exists. Apple. Oh man. Uh, Facebook Watch. <sighs> Facebook Watch. Uh, maybe a dark horse as well. Yeah, and uh. Who knows what Twitch will do? Who knows what Twitch will become? Yeah. Exactly. It's, and that's the thing, right? We have a very set like idea of what content will be, but it may well be that, you know, none of this matters and we'll be all like on Fortnite or on Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> in the in the end it's like where do I watch Predator one the classic? And, and here's the <laughs> thing, we are all assuming that we are all going to be watching it on a screen and going to watching it on our phones, but maybe Oculus becomes a thing, or maybe AR VR becomes a When it finally a thing. has a, a realistic price point entry, I would say so. Yeah. Because right now, just, you know, I mean, aside from the porn, I don't see any real reason to get an Oculus <laughs> Rift. <ripped. laughs> I'm sorry, those games are hella boring. <laughs> I think that it's the ability to drive an immersive experience without a very, very large screen. Look, we're all looking forward to the day we have of vision. But until then, I think I think we can end it right here. So, Last Game fans, thank you so much. Uh, this has been a very special episode with my uh, guest here, Dustin. Dustin, tell the guys out there where we can find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter as uh, Luminoir. L U M I O I R. You forgot the end. I forgot the end. Uh, i just <laughs> put it in the links. Okay, I'll put it in the links in the description below. Please follow him. He's uh, one of the smartest guys I know. And uh, yeah, um, we hope to get you back for a few more episodes. I can definitely see you doing maybe, I want to do a Kevin Smith retrospective, and you are the guy. I haven't watched a lot of the films in between. <laughs> Just the ones that we need to talk about. Just the ones we need to talk about. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that weird trilogy, like Tusk, Yoga Hoosiers. Yeah. Uh, that weird, what, Red State, which was kind of brave. I, 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 I heard interesting things about it. But you also kind of forget. I mean, the the worst thing is like when Ralph Garman walks into frame and you like, oh, it's his buddy. And, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, you you don't hire you the start people. Stop casting your friends. <laughs> okay, stop casting your friends. That's a school. That's a that's a student cool film thing, which is what he's doing now yeah. again because uh, did you hear the the the, the soft story of how he got Ben Affleck back? No, that's quite adorable because basically he got everybody to reprise their roles on uh Jay and Bob. Yeah. Except for Ben. Yeah. Because Ben is he who was has he, was he benefit then? what no did- recently oh recently okay for like the new Jane Simon Bob rip movie yeah just yeah, yeah. coming out so everybody signed on even Shannon Elizabeth came out in retirement really she still looks great okay god damn like that is good genes right there young lady I mean old lady I mean mature <laughs> it's kind of like maybe when we were 12 and we saw Alyssa Milano grow up oh she's a mother now huh mm. <laughs> no but when he contacted Ben Affleck, like, like he was quoting the end of I think maybe Conan like he, how he was like this king on his throne, and how he had to contemplate whether. Remember those adventures we had, and I realized that you saw what we did as uh, adventures in youth, and you have gone off, uh, gone forth. But you know, it was just basically him low key saying like, "Come back, Matt Damon's here. We need you to play fucking that character of the of the four characters you played in all his movies. You need to you need to just do one or two. And Ben was like, "Only you would liken yourself to a king." <laughs> <laughs> And it's like, that was his way of saying yes. It was like, yeah. super sweet. I was like, oh, They're still best friends, are uh, Kinda. One makes that, Better that's movies, very, <laughs> That's the very interesting thing about, like, like, Kevin Smith and Troma, which is, like, they engender a kind of camaraderie. Yeah. Even though people move on to, like, bigger things, but they're always like, "Yeah, I remember you. You gave me a break. True that. I mean, I, James Gunn would never throw shade at Kaufman, ever. Yes. He, you know? he cast Kaufman in, in like... Yeah. yeah. But then again... If you look back to the 60s, it's like James Cameron, Jack Nicholson. Have you called Roger Cormon on the phone recently? How's he doing? <laughs> oh, ye who have gone so far and have become so mighty. So that's it, Last King fans. Thank you so much for listening to this very special episode. Uh, if you like quality content like this, please let us know. We have our Facebooks, we have our Twitter, and yes, uh, we are available everywhere. We are on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcast fixes.